Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in stoppage time live on a Wednesday as I get the settings to actually look right. Uh, We are getting ready for Atlanta United in Nashville this weekend again. Yes, they played last week too. This is the league match. Nashville plays tonight hosting Montreal. A lot of eyeballs out of the state of Georgia will be on that one to see how they come out of it. We also got to talk about the 2-2 draw with New England. We got to talk about Joseph Martinez back involved in training. Um, lots of things to get into on the Atlanta United front. And we can even talk about Lionel Messi to enter Miami if you want to. Well, I think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be next year. And I don't think it's going to be for 35% of the team. Uh, I think there probably will be a day before he retires when Messi does play in MLS. But I don't think it's next year. I, I could actually see it next year. Um, Depends on the World Cup, don't you think? Like, kind of not kind of but not really like i think at one point as he was leaving barcelona people tried to put it out there that he might do it then he wasn't it it was always going to be about being in the best shape possible for the world cup at the end of the year that's his number one priority i think that's about all he's thinking about right now he did a two-year deal at psg because of that so he'll see the deal out at PSG. He'll play in the World Cup. Everything this year will be based on him performing at the World Cup. It's his last one, barring anything crazy. Uh, they're a, a contender. I mean, they won the Copa America, so they're absolutely a contender. I think Brazil's probably the favorite along with France. But everything for Messi's about the World Cup. After that, I think anything's on the table, to be honest. I like. I don't think he goes to... England just to go to England. I don't think he goes back to Barcelona. He's not going to go anywhere else in Spain. He doesn't go to Serie A just because. Um, I think the likelihood that he plays in MLS is very high. I, I think the likelihood that he plays in Miami in MLS is very high. I could also see him playing a year in Argentina at some point for Newell's. That was his boyhood club. He left at like 13, 14 to go to Barcelona. I could see it next year. The 35% thing of the franchise is the interesting one. Um, that would be a lot for the Moss brothers to give up. Uh, Beckham doesn't have a huge share of the team. It's after the fallout with everything that happened and, and Clowray was bought out and, and Son was bought out. The Moss brothers have the overwhelming majority. They would have to give up a lot, but they'd still retain majority ownership. They're not going to give that to Lionel Messi. So, how do you make all of that work 
you know, right now, a 35% valuation of Miami based off the, the last valuations from Forbes and Sportico would put you somewhere in the 250 million range. Um, is he worth that to coming to Miami and coming to MLS? Yep. Yeah, he is. But do you make it work in those terms? And then the whole thing about owning a team you're playing for, like, how is that going to look? And there's so many aspects to it that are hard to follow, but I do think he'll play in MLS. I do think he'll play in Miami. And if it starts next summer, I'm not shocked. Of course, right now, you've got all the back and forth because that's that's what we do in this game worldwide. You've got one group saying, oh, it's happening. I've seen the contracts. And you've got another side saying, no, he's not going anywhere. What, are you crazy? This is how it will be for the next 12 months, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I guess my questions start with, is he planning on going through the 26th cycle with Argentina? I don't think so. I, I would say no. I, I okay. really don't think so. And if that if if it is no, then yeah, I could see a scenario where he's in MLS sooner rather than later. Um, if he were planning to go through the twenty six cycle, then Different I think conversation. Th- yeah, and I think also the possibility of him playing for Newell's comes into maybe more clear focus, just because um, you know it, it it just makes the travel a little bit more manageable to, to get to the national team and back to go through the cycle and, and all of that. Um, but Messi's going to play in MLS. And I, I, I think, think so. yeah. And I, I think the exciting thing is he's going to play in MLS when he's still playing at a high level. Uh, maybe not the pinnacle of his career, but at a very, very high level. Uh, and that is going to be massive for the league. It will be interesting if it is next year. What does Inter do then? Um, I don't envision Messi playing next year on turf at Fort Lauderdale. Um, Can they work out something short-term to have an alternate venue um, where he can potentially play in a larger stadium on grass? It's grass at Fort Lauderdale. It's not turf, but I thought that was turf. It's grass. Um, I think it might be a hybrid kind of thing, but it's it's at least grass based. It's not a true artificial turf surface. Um, but a bigger venue, yeah. I I I think, and this is just pure speculation. I would assume they would probably try everything possible to work out a deal to play at Hard Rock. Yeah. Um, while they're building their own venue and they would want to have that venue somehow done before Messi leaves the club, which won't be easy to pull off with everything still having to be done. You looking it up? <laughs> I was looking it up. Yeah. <laughs> I was. You busted. I thought you were going to keep talking for a Sorry. second. Yeah. No, it's okay. I, I thought you were looking at it. I, I thought you were going to keep talking. Um, the problem, obviously, when you deal with hard rock is you're not first in line to use that facility. Yeah. And uh, MLS and, and the Miami Dolphins owner don't exactly get along well. Furthermore, the Miami Dolphins owner is now using that venue for a lot of non-sports things and some sports things like Formula One. But, like, for yeah. example, uh, the old Lipton tennis tournament that they used to have at Key game. they have that at the Dolphin Stadium now. They have the Formula One race at the Dolphin Stadium now. I was almost wondering if um, where the Marlins play 
could like if that field is wide enough if yeah, that i don't um, know and i don't know right i'm with you i don't know either um so it, it's interesting I think some infrastructure things need to fall into place i think for the messy to miami thing to become a little more immediate the um, league will bend any rule they have to to make it happen 100 percent, as the they league, should as they as should. they should yes yep. as, as they, they should, should. It, it would be enormous for the league mm-hmm. um so yeah, I mean, I I see what you mean, Chris Rabel. Like, no, you don't want to play in another baseball stadium. But if that's what you have to do to make it work temporarily until they get everything finished with um, their new stadium, which is now on track, yeah, way more on track than it's been even a week or two ago. Yeah, um, you do it if mm-hmm. you have to. You know, backload a, a home road schedule and play a lot of early home games at Hard Rock. You do it. Um, yeah. You know, yes, of course, Uncle No Pockets within reason, but those are pretty large bounds as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it, I, just, I don't think there's another player that would have this kind of impact. I, I really, and it's not because I'm an Argentina guy. It's because outside of when the league added David Beckham, which was the kind of move that he was a little younger and he was a bigger celebrity than Messi is um not by a ton I mean Messi's a a giant name people know Lionel Messi non-soccer people know Lionel Messi but Beckham when he came in the league is not where it is today if Beckham didn't join the league in 2007 that's just a fact that was the the most transformational move that the league's ever made and if you have an opportunity to add Lionel Messi six months after a world cup possibly his last one for Argentina he's willing to come if that means you need to change the rules to add a fourth designated player to make it happen, you're going to do it. If it means you have to create something, some other mechanism, you're going to do it. If you have to figure out a way for Miami to convince him to come, to give him some portion of the club's ownership rights, you're going to find a way to do it. It's that big (laughs) of a deal. It's that big of a deal. There's nothing else. like it. And look, here's the thing. It like, let's say, there was a lot of legitimacy to the reporting about Messi next year. Yeah, it's a legitimate reporter. It's not somebody who's really known for breaking a lot of news, right. but it's a legitimate person. It's not a random, it's not a unknown person. Whatever draft of a broadcast deal they had in place, and that all changes. The value of your broadcast package goes up immensely La Liga sold La Liga's with ESPN was based off Messi being at Barca and he left and then he left yeah (laughs) ESPN did a deal with Italy when Ronaldo went to Uve um like it it would it would exponentially increase the value of the media package one of the things I heard over the weekend by the way Uh is that ESPN's interest in coming back is has been maybe overstated somewhat. Okay. Um, so if if you're Major League Soccer and Fox is out and ESPN is sending off some negative vibes, um, you've got to get a linear package. You have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to be considered one of the big leagues in this country, you have to have a linear package. Um, if Messi's coming into MLS... You have a bidding war all of a sudden. Then we have a very different conversation. and Totally different. 
if there is a, and we don't have a new deal in place yet, or at least it hasn't been announced, if there is an issue potentially with it, hmm, this is great timing for a conversation about uh, Senor Messi possibly I, arriving. I, I thought Taylor Twellman's uh, wording today of his tweet about negotiating tactic was profound and not just in the player to MLS realm. Um, mm -hmm. it is certainly very interesting timing. Yeah. Very interesting timing for a so. random, not random in terms of not respected, but a random person in terms of MLS news who is affiliated with DirecTV Sports across Latin America yeah. to be the one to break this. Dots, dot over there, dot over there. Oh, God, maybe I'm seeing where this could be coming from. Just saying. Mm. All right, so there's Messi. Can we have a, a word or two about centralized VAR? Oh, here we go. Yeah, you got some news on that too. Yeah, so uh, you've, been, the league, you've been scooping news everywhere. Oh, uh, now this wasn't a scoop. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they they sent it out to all of us. It's just a lot of oh, I didn't. A lot get of people it. don't read the emails, and I didn't I just, get it. They didn't yeah. send it to me. No, you got it. Trust me, it was in the pitch. Oh, they buried you, it. You got those? They buried yeah. it like at the bottom of the they pit. They don't even always put the pitch out, which is I know. disappointing. Because, and, and for those you of know. you who don't know what we're talking about, the pitch is basically a, a hype email that the league sends its media every week with a couple capsules about big games and nationally televised games. And at the bottom of the pitch, they buried this whole thing about centralized VAR. So I was confused. Because when I got to the stadium on Sunday, I noticed, huh, we have the VAR booth set up here. And I found out short time later from someone with the stadium that Jair Marufo and the AVAR and everyone that usually handles VAR on site was on site again for this game on, on Sunday. Um, and I thought, well, that's weird because... There was all this reporting yesterday that MLS has gone to centralized VAR in Atlanta. Well, now MLS and Pro have revealed that they have, in fact, gone to a VAR operation center in Atlanta. 14 pods of you know three seats, basically. So you could do 14 uh, games at a so time. So you can do 14 games at once. 28 teams. There you go. That's everything. There you go. Right. Uh, I thought it was odd that uh, it was being disputed. Why have 14 pods? Well, that's why. That's um, math. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, here, here I think is the more interesting part of what centralized VAR could mean for the fan and consumer experience. Yeah. Now... When a play is being checked, there is a person at the pod, one of the three people, who hits a touchscreen and goes, check for handball or check for penalty or check for red card. Instantly, that pops up in the broadcast truck and it pops up in the scoreboard operations room at every stadium. So theoretically, if the system works correctly, and we're doing a game in Nashville this weekend, and something happens. Marcelino Moreno gets tripped up in the box, and the play is checked. That should pop up on the broadcast and on the scoreboard. It should. That's what happens um, in the Premier League, and it's, right. it's the same kind of idea that 
you know what they're looking at once they tell you they're looking at it. Right. And we have not had that. I think I think you and I have actually done a really good job since VAR came in of guessing. And and look, it's not that hard sometimes. I mean, sometimes it's easy. It's obvious what they're looking at when when we can tell they're looking. But sometimes is it a penalty? Is it a potential red card? Is it something else? Like sometimes we don't know and we are kind of guessing, but I think we've generally been in a pretty good spot on being able to tell you what we think they're looking at. And we've been right. Most of the time, this takes that away. This is so much easier to where, okay, we know exactly what they're looking at. Now we can stop trying to figure that out. And now we can actually talk about why they're looking at it, how it could be ruled. And we skip that step of trying to figure out what they're doing. That's a huge bonus. Yes, exactly. It was supposed to kind of sort of work that way. There, you know, when VAR was adopted, there was supposed to be an AVAR who was responsible only for communicating with the broadcast truck and with broadcasters. There was supposed to be a Slack channel. I was never invited to it. I never got um, it. Although I will tell you that the games I've done on TV. The games I've done on TV, I have had communication from the TV truck on checks. So maybe they just left the radio out. I'm Who knows? Um, but now, theoretically, inside the stadium or watching the television broadcast, we should know what is being checked and why. It's good. Christopher Abel, say you get a studs-up tackle inside the 18, it's being checked for a penalty and a red. Can they select both? I don't know. I, I would like, assume. I, I would um, assume so, but I don't know. And that might be one where we have to use our – our, our judgment well, common I mean, sense because yeah. yeah they would in that case i'm assuming they would tell you that they're i mean first off the referee misses a studs up tackle and that and man he really did a bad job uh yeah, but yeah. it's happened it, it, i would assume they would say they're looking at a penalty and, and they could then say that they are also looking at the red at, afterwards or they could say they also added that it was a red there there's ways to to handle the language of it that would be easy right so, uh, some people have asked, why are they doing this in Atlanta? Where in Atlanta is it? It's a question I'm getting a lot. Don't know I, and not telling you if I, I found out. I would never out. tell you. I would never tell you if <laughs> yes. I knew. That's a major security flaw. Seriously. Uh, when we got people running on the field in England, headbutting yeah. opposing players, I'm not telling you if I know where the VARs no. are. No. But why Atlanta? What, two things. I've heard that eventually it's going to move to New York. I have heard that okay. that then that this thing in Atlanta might be for the next couple of years. Then they're going to eventually move it to New York. And B, right now, if you've noticed the assignments of who's center ref, who's VAR in a given weekend, a lot of times the crews you're seeing on Sunday also have to work a match on Saturday because there's just not enough referees and VARs right now yeah. available in pro. Well, Atlanta has a hub airport. Mm -hmm. So say you are Alan Kelly and you have to be the center in Kansas City on Saturday and then run VAR for a match in Toronto on Sunday. Well, you can get from Kansas City to Atlanta pretty much on the hour. Mm -hmm. There's only a, a small number of cities in this country. Like you, you could potentially do this in Chicago. They have obviously a hub airport, but the central location, the Eastern time zone, the hub airport 
it's really more of that than Atlanta has some kind of unique infrastructure that isn't available anywhere else in the country. And and for the people who think there's some kind of conspiracy about how Atlanta is going to get all the calls now, (laughs) um, I, I don't think so. Nothing's I, I, and and to be to be really clear for people to understand, nothing has changed in the way VAR works. This no, does and not fact, make the VAR supersede the referee on the field. And I'm so glad you said that because I think that has been either misunderstood or misreported. Yeah. Center ref still makes the call. Center ref still goes to the monitor to or make say the they don't want to go to the monitor. Or say they don't want to go to the monitor. Or or refuse a recommendation to go to the monitor. I mean, they don't just because they buzz down does not technically mean they must nope. go to the monitor. They, All they, of those mechanics remain the same. Yeah, that's that would require a heavy rule change because that's not the way that that the rules are currently written. Could it happen at some point? Sure. I don't think it's a must that it happens. I know in other sports it does. Um, I don't think it's a must that it happens here because so much of those calls are judgment calls. I think at times in other sports, you're getting into more black or white on the call and somebody outside of it can make that call. If you've not been running on the pitch with these guys for 90 minutes in a game, you don't have as good of a feel for that game. And I do think judgment is a big part of it. So I I don't care if it gets there as much as what I want to see out of this is dedicated video assistant referees. And this is twofold. Like you mentioned guys working on Saturday and Sunday, one is a VAR, one in the middle. That's a lot. That's a lot to ask of people. What I'd love to see is to build up the dedicated video assistant referee pool. Edvin Jurasevich has been there really from the beginning Um, I'd love to see referees as they retire, join the VAR group and work there. So they retired on the field, but they're working and giving back to the game because where you need right now, those referees that are working on VAR or ones who are having to pull double duty on a weekend, you need that young group who's getting VAR moments who are still center referees and working in other leagues. You need them in those other leagues. You either need them on the, in the middle in MLS or you need them in the middle in NWSL or USL championship or USL league one, because you need as many good referees on the field as possible. VAR can be referees who are no longer working in a game capacity and can be very useful, maybe even better. Because they've got the experience and then they are specifically trained to know what that role asks them to do rather than trying to do two different roles in a weekend of managing a game and then watching a monitor. Dedicated VARs will be transformational for Major League Soccer when they get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. And just what one more note on this, just on the Twitch pitch with the Colonel. Yes, I understand that there was a report about Central VAR last weekend. What I'm telling you is that the report was not an announcement. And I know that because VAR for Atlanta, New England was not Central. It was in the stadium. So there, and and I understand this was confusing because there was at least one reporter who made it sound like, oh yeah, this is done. It's unilateral across the board. Centralized VAR has started. That's not true. Um, I'm not even sure now if that's the case, like going forward. Yes, exactly. Furthermore, there were some matches being handled from Central VAR earlier this year that we just 
didn't make a big deal of. Max Bredos talked about it week one on an LAFC broadcast. And it's kind of like you hear that. You're like, what? what? There hasn't been any announcement. What? Right. I think it right now, it sounds <laughs> like from the MLS announcement and piecing things together. This is a bit of a trial work in progress kind of thing. I'm sure there will be logistics where like the scenario you gave, somebody's in Kansas City, they're doing VAR the next day on a game in Toronto. Probably easier for them to come to Atlanta to do that. But yep. there could be situations where it might be, okay, cool. They can go be in the stadium the next day and, and be there. And they'll probably right. do that some. So it'll be a little bit of logistics of making things work the best for everybody. In the and a good example being maybe Marufo was centralized VAR on Saturday and could go down the road and be in the stadium on Sunday. I mean, it could be that too. Yeah, I, you I could think... see guys who are going to do two, two VAR situations. And it's like, hey, go to Atlanta and just stay overnight and you do two games. What I don't love about it is that I want to see it consistent. I do too. Um, so I want but I also understand. I want consistency across the board. Absolutely right. But I also understand the reality that you're phasing it in, and Build up that your pool. It, it, unfortunately, it just doesn't work as a clean. Yep. Okay. All uh, all fourteen matches this weekend are going to be centralized. It just yeah. doesn't work that way. Build okay. up the pool to where you can do it and do it the right way and get. I, I think this opens the door for what I was saying about dedicated VARs, and you you have some already, but dedicated ones like, hey, why don't you relocate to Atlanta for a couple of years? Why don't you go in and and work a game uh, a early a Saturday afternoon game and a Saturday night game? okay, we can do these things now that maybe we couldn't do before. So it opens up and takes some stress off of the pool. It's a, it's a good thing, but it is a work in progress. To Christopher's comment on the Twitch pitch, has there ever been discussion anywhere in the world about maybe implementing challenges? No, not in any real way. Um, I, it comes up. Like, I know it's come up in the Premier League. I know it's come up in places, but it's never been something that, like, IFAB, or FIFA have discussed that I've ever heard. Um, I will give you something that's interesting on IFAB and FIFA to, to change the subject just a little bit. Uh, we've talked about offside and how with VAR now we have a very different conversation about offside than we did back in the day where I, mean, I remember the big idea change that if it's close, you give the advantage to the attacking player. That was a, a big statement by IFAB and, and referees to do. Now you can look at it. You can say pretty clearly, not always, but pretty clearly, yes or no, onside or offside. In England, they use a system that is incredibly accurate. Maybe drives some people crazy because it's so accurate, but it's there. So now they've had the conversation about, okay, we, we, we don't have the, if it's close, you give it to the attacker anymore, which was the idea. Now we're finding when it's close, it doesn't go for the attacker. We don't like how that feels. Can we change the offside law? There's been a trial done. They've, they've talked about doing trials. IFAB approved this trial. They did a trial in Seri, or in Italy's, I think, U19 League. And this is where you get some dedicated information from it. The, the Basically, to change the, the law, to not be wordy like IFAB, it's the idea of right now, if any part of the body is offside, you are off. It flips it to if any part of the body is onside, you are on. So you kind of get a body length, essentially, is where you can go with this. And, of course, there's more goals because of this. 9.8%. So they did 
177 games the old way. They did 63 games the new way. Went from 3.571 goals per game to 3.921, up 9.8%. And the shock of all shocks is attackers love it. (laughs) Defenders and goalkeepers hate it. But it's it's not a dramatic change, but that's enough of an increase. I kind of like it. I'm not going to lie. There's still a line, and you're still going to have questions, and you're still going to have that. But it gives the attacker what the idea of, if it's close, give it to the attacker used to be. And I, I like that. I would not be shocked if next year, that might get another round of trials, maybe at a little bit higher level. But I'm not going to be shocked if by the time we get to the next World Cup in 26, that that's going to be the new offside law. I think that's those numbers are about where that you would want them to be. Yeah, interesting. I love it. Yeah, me too. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Um, Joseph, another thing I love. Joseph, back training with the team. <laughs> you could have transitioned using the offside law comment. I thought you were going to. No, no. no. <laughs> Joseph is not... Um, we're we're not in like 2017 2018 <laughs> Joseph era of offside. I mean, All right, heck, should, yeah, he pulled a Joseph this weekend. No, he did. He did. Um, but Joseph's back training with the team. We talked a lot about this on Soccer Down here today. But for those of you who weren't with us this morning, I, I think again one thing we need to make very clear is that Atlanta United is not rushing Joseph Martinez back just because Joseph is ahead of schedule, which is good news. Just because Joseph is ahead of schedule doesn't mean that Joseph is being rushed back. And in fact, Atlanta United right now, having scored three goals in their last, or I'm sorry, eight goals in their last three matches, really has no need to rush Joseph Martinez back at this point, which is good. But it's good to see him. I don't think he's going to play this Saturday. I'm not even sure if he's going to play next Saturday. But as far as just getting him back in the team, that emotional leadership that he can provide, it's a good thing. Yeah, it's a lift when he's able to rejoin training. Um, he's a very vocal guy in training, so you you get that competitiveness that you want. 
you get that, you know, and I don't think this has ever been a team that's had that, even with losing Alonzo and Gazan and, and Robinson and Joseph for a period of time. I don't think training ever slacked off. I think if anything, the coaches probably ramped up the intensity. But now you got somebody who's natural intensity right there, Joseph Martinez. So like every every session, every activity that he's involved in, everybody's going to be on their game even more. So whether it is just training this week, whether he makes the trip to Nashville or not, whether he's in the the match day or not, I, I don't think there's any way he starts. But any of those things don't mean anything other than the literal thing it means. Like he's either in the team or he's not in the team, or he made the trip or he didn't make the trip. There's no hidden agendas. There's no rushing. There's no, oh, well, if he's not in the team here, then he had a setback. No, there's none of that. You don't need to create narratives off of nothing. He's a little ahead of schedule. That's a good thing. Very happy. And we see what he can bring and we see where he is. I don't think that the the team, the training staff, coaching staff has any idea what he's able to give them when you get to Saturday when he's had two days of training now. No way to know. Yeah. And I, I, again, I want to reiterate that nothing in the last two years has been a straight line with Joseph getting back onto the pitch. Uh, unfortunately, he suffered a lot of setbacks over the last two years. Some of them had nothing to do with the way he was rehabbing, really. I mean, it was just he had an infection, which is very unfortunate. So I think what Jason's saying is very, very important to not jump to any conclusions Please. if you don't see Joseph in the team this week or next. I think the benefit that Atlanta United gets from Joseph being back in training right now is that it gives them a couple extra weeks now to evaluate before the international transfer window opens up in July. It gives them a couple extra weeks to evaluate how much can Joseph give us? How much can we realistically expect of Joseph? What is Joseph's level of comfort right now with that knee? Is he experiencing any kind of discomfort? Is Joseph's load management plan going to be affected in any way, shape, or form? And how do we respond to that with the international transfer window? That's a good spot for Atlanta United to be in. It's going to give them a couple extra weeks to be careful now and make a decision going forward. Because if, God forbid, Joseph is in a position where he can't give you regular service the rest of this year, you might have to make a, a move that corresponds to that in the international transfer window. It's possible. And you're going to have limited budget to be able to do that. Not out of choice, but out of a salary cap. Because you, you didn't get full relief on Brad Miles, Alonzo, those injuries, you didn't get full relief. You, you got a little bit. You traded Jake Mulraney, you got a little bit more. You're going to have to make a decision on Ronaldo Cisneros on extending his loan. Um, that's going to be part of this conversation. I think you'll probably extend it. I'd be surprised if you didn't. But that's going to be part of this because you look at what this team has and what they will need in the second half. And you're going to have the roster space to do things, but you're not going to have the cap space to do everything you'd like to do. So if Joseph is not where you want him to be by the time that window is getting ready to open on July 7th, maybe forward becomes a higher priority, even if you keep Cisneros for the rest of the season. If he is where you want it to be and you decide, you know what, we are going to keep Cisneros to be the number two slash three, depending on the day. 
cool. Then you have limited numbers to go get a veteran six or a veteran center back if you feel like you need that. You've got the positions where you have lost players. We all know what they are. And you're going to have limited cap space to allocate to replacements if you need them. And now it is deciding if you need them and deciding what possibilities could be out there. Joseph's recovery is a huge factor in those decisions. Absolutely giant factor. To Blute Blute's point on the Twitch pitch um, that we never got a time frame after Joseph had the procedure, that is not correct. Yeah, there was one. We did get a time frame. On April 8th, Atlanta United, I had to look it up. On April 8th, Atlanta United announced that Joseph would be out six to eight weeks. Well, April 8th was a Friday. One, two, three, four, five, six weeks from that Friday is May 20th, two days from now. So he's a couple days ahead of the six-week part of that. Um, He's essentially on schedule yeah, essentially maybe on the earlier side of that schedule yeah, slightly we thought when we got that timetable optimistically maybe you could get him back by columbus maybe still seems to be in play so yeah. uh no blue blue it was not arbitrary it was stated it was six to eight weeks and he's on that schedule it's maybe three or four days ahead of the best case scenario there yeah, um, every timeline like that. I mean, uh, that's why it's six to eight weeks and not, you know, 49 days. You know, it's uh, there, there's always wiggle room, especially with something like this. It's been hard to figure out, you know, from the beginning because knees are first off. And then when you have the complications that he had, it gets even harder. And you're you don't really have a you don't have anything to compare it to. So six to eight weeks. OK. And yeah. he's right ahead of the six. Good. That, that's a great sign. I think the hardest part for the physio staff and probably for Pineda as well is getting Joseph to not push it beyond his limits. Yeah, he'd play this weekend if it was his choice. He, yeah, right. He I would mean, have played last weekend if it was his choice. He would have played last weekend if it was his choice. <laughs> yeah. So you, you have to protect Joseph from Joseph a little bit. And I, little I bit. think that'll be one of the difficult things that the staff is going to have to manage. But again, the good news is you've scored – Eight goals in your last three matches. You got a hat trick from Cisneros last week against Chicago. I don't think he played very well against New England, but we still know what he's capable of doing. We know what Dwyer is capable of doing based on the brace that he scored against Chattanooga, the fact that he scored against Sporting Kansas City. So we know what he's capable of. Uh, The attack has really started to call less. Imagine what happens when you're able to play Four consecutive matches with Moreno, Almada, and Araujo all together. It's almost as if that, and when I say play, I mean start them. It's almost as if it helps them to build chemistry. And uh, we're seeing the results now in front of us. And, you know, we're talking about two different issues with this team right now. The defending is an issue that we'll get to. But up top, this is what we hope to see. This is, I think, validation that Atlanta United has signed a couple of elite players, and now we're we're getting to see Almada really by the day, visibly growing in confidence, and Aruju, literally by the day, visibly improving from a fitness and health standpoint, 
And it's going to be really, really scary for the rest of the league when that trio has Joseph added into it and you continue to have the midfield chemistry building to the point where it's getting to right now with Abara and Hosatu. Abara has been a crucial part of some of these great team goals that Atlanta United has scored over the last two league matches, at least. Yeah, I mean, I'll go a step further with that continuity. And, you know, you've had those three attackers, Ibarra and Hosechu, and Gutman and Lennon play together. And Gutman and Lennon fullbacks, but they get forward so much you can put them as part of the attack. You've had that part of the team, three attackers, two holding midfielders, two fullbacks. That's seven if I can do my math. You've had that part of the team be consistent. You've lost Joseph. Cisneros has played consistently. That's worked very well, too. Center back, you had the Miles injury. You've lost him. Okay, DeJohn has come in. We'll talk about that in a minute. DeJohn's been great. But where you haven't had consistency in this team, and Gonzalo Pineda has talked about this all year long. Smart guy. Very smart guy. He explains himself very, very well. He goes into detail on the explanation. He said long. I need consistency in my game. I need to be able to play game and build what I'm trying to build. If the lineup changes, can't build and build things. The thing you do, you get better and better and better and better. Now, defensively, if you not have consistency lately, defensively, you you lost track. Not all the group. Now, John is a start. Not Campbell. He's played available. Play. Okay. It's to happen. We had Brooks Lennon on the full-time report after the match, and we talked about that second goal. I don't think that second goal happens if you have a back line that's played together a lot lately. They're not in sync. Franco is a step late to step out because that's the plan. You can see it in the way that the team is defending it. It's not that Franco's ball watching. It's not that Franco's not defending. They're supposed to step. They're supposed to step to catch Buxa offside. They didn't do it in conjunction with one another. Why? Because they haven't been playing together. That's a problem. But you got to get them playing together. And and that's going to be the next step for Gonzalo Pineda. So you look at the team in phases. Joseph will get reincorporated into it. He's coming into a group that has a lot of consistency. Joseph is Joseph. He's going to find his way into that pretty well. They're playing well without him. They'll play well with him. The pressing will change a little bit, but that's that's doable. Defensively, you've got to get a series of games with this group. You've got to get this group playing together. And maybe first off, you got to decide if this is the group you want to build around. Is Alex DeJohn who you want to build around and have Campbell as the third guy who spells people when needed, comes in when needed, but is the reserve to DeJohn and Franco? It's a valid discussion at this point, and I wouldn't have expected it. If if Campbell was healthy when Miles went down, I think George Campbell would have stepped into the lineup as he had played a lot earlier this season and started a lot earlier this season. I think he would have been fine. But man, Alex DeJohn's changed the paradigm because he's been so good. And he's been so good in moments where the teams needed him to be good that maybe they haven't been good. Set pieces, aerial duels, things where his aggressiveness and his, his reading of the game fits. I don't think it's a, and I'm as big of a George Campbell fan as you'll find, 
I don't think it's a slam dunk that as soon as Campbell is healthy enough to go 90, that he displaces Alex Dijon in the lineup. I think Alex keeps his spot until he doesn't earn the spot. And and that's kind of where I'm at with it. I don't know if that's where the coaching staff is. So you've got to build just like you had to build the chemistry with continuous lineups being the same in the attack and in the midfield. You've got to do that with the back line as well. Shuttleworth is part of it. The center backs are part of it. And working with the fullbacks and Gutman and Lennon, that's part of it. That area has had the least amount of consistency this season. Yeah, and that's why, you know, for the Shuttleworth must be benched crowd, I would just say hold on with that for a second because yeah. playing musical goalkeepers will do nothing to help the chemistry of the back line. None. Um you know, look, Shuttleworth's numbers are what they are. Uh, I'd say most of the goals that Atlanta United has conceded since he became the starting goalkeeper this year are not his fault, most of them. He does have a slightly different role to build up than Brad Guzan because there are slightly different skill sets. Some yeah, elements... He's, he's actually done better there than I, I would have yeah. ever expected. I, I was going to say, some aspects of Shuttleworth's distribution I actually think are superior to Brad's, to be totally honest. But they build up in different ways with yeah. Shuttleworth. Yeah, he's, uh, he's gotten more comfortable there faster than I thought. I, yes. We just hadn't seen him really do it. It wasn't a case where it's like you have a track record on a guy and you're like, oh, he's not good at this because he did bad here and there and there. This one, it's like, well, you've never really asked him to play with the ball at his feet. You've never asked him to be involved in the buildup because he was in Chicago and Minnesota and New England and, and places where they didn't do that. He's taken to it really well. And he's now at a point where he's passing the same number of passes that Brad was and completing them at just as high of a percentage. And he's even, he, he sees different things. He's a different person. So I think where Brad was more willing to go to that longer ball into the corner of the defensive half to play out of trouble. Bobby is maybe a little more willing to play that ball up the middle, which is riskier. It can be because if that turns over, it's in a bad spot. But when it is right, that's how you break pressure. And I think Bobby's shown a real willingness to take that risk. And he's he's hit on it every single time so far. Yeah, exactly. And and Byrne brings up a good point. I mean, you're going to have an opportunity where you can play Rocco. Maybe it's against Pachuca. Maybe it's Absolutely. somewhere else during the break. Um, twos. You'll get, with the twos, yeah. You'll have a chance to play Rocco. But I, I would just say, you know, you don't want to be making a goalkeeping change unless you have no other choice. And I don't think you're at that point yet, no. uh, in my opinion. No, um, I'm working on teams that do musical goalkeepers. It never works. It, it just doesn't. It's, I can't think of a situation where it has. No, it, somebody's got to be established. Yeah. I, um, you, you know, Atlanta United last year um, – you know, with Can yeah. filling in for Brad when Brad was at Gold Cup, Can did a good job. Did a good job. Yeah, but you didn't but have a choice there. You didn't have a choice, right? Exactly. Um, so, anyhow, uh, it, on Alex, I want to talk about him for a moment before we transition and talk about the Nashville match. I think Alex has done a really good job, and I, I think one thing that you just touched on that I really strongly agree with, and we talked about this on SDH today, Atlanta United's. You know, defensively, they may not have solved the problem yet with 
set pieces that end up getting recycled, corners that end up getting recycled and produce goal-scoring opportunities. They may not have solved that yet. But I think on the initial corner or free kick or other set piece, the John is helping Atlanta United win some of those balls in the air because he's done a good job attacking the ball in the air. Um, I just think it's 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 interesting now that we're at a point where, you know, there was some concern about Alex DeJohn having to step into this group with, um, I guess we lost Jason. Uh, I, I'll filibuster. Uh, there was some concern, I think, with Miles Robinson going down and Alex DeJohn having to come in and replace him and would there be any kind of drop-off. And indeed, you know, you can never truly replace a Miles Robinson. But I think Alex DeJohn has done a more than adequate job to the point where I think DeJohn at this very moment is probably your first-choice center back along with Alan Franco. It doesn't mean that George Campbell has played poorly or is out of the mix, but I think George right now has to take the spot away from Alex. So it's a real testament to the job that Alex has done. Um, you know, he's won more than half of the duels he's been in since coming into the lineup. He's won almost two-thirds of the aerial duels he's been put in since coming into the lineup. Uh, he's gained possession, I think, 18 times in the last two and a half games that he's played, maybe three full games now if you count the, the extra time in Nashville. So Alex has done a great job. and. Uh, I think now, again, if Alex can keep going at this rate, you've bought Atlanta United some time to get to the transfer window and then make a move. And, you know, the number of matches that you have to get through to get there is decreasing. After uh, Nashville and Columbus, you have a couple more league games after the FIFA international break and you're there. So, Jason, I was uh, extolling the virtues of Alex DeJohn while you were reconnecting. Yeah, my connection is having some issues. Hopefully, it's a little bit better now. Um, I agree with every single possible thing about the virtues of Alex DeJohn <laughs> because he's just he's been such a good fit for this group. And I think he's a guy that everybody, most everybody in their career has been in that kind of a situation where he's on the outside looking in. He's working hard. He's putting in the, the the time on the training pitch. He's earning everybody's respect, players and coaching staff. And when he gets that opportunity and he performs well, you're you're kind of rooting for him. I think I think his teammates are rooting for him, and that is really helping this group coalesce a little bit. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean that like the situation on the first goal that that you're not completely in sync with Franco coming across. Dijon maybe a step late to come across to help with that. Shuttleworth gets caught in between because of all of that in front of him, and you give up the goal. It's not purely on Shuttleworth. It's not purely on Dijon. It's not purely on Franco. Second goal is not purely on Franco either. They need to play. They need to play together. And if that's the group, and that's the question for Gonzalo Pineda, if that's the group, you got to give them the time to do it. But Alex Dijon, his play, he's earned that consideration to be a starter the rest of the way. Agreed totally. All right, let's get into Nashville in the last couple minutes we have here. Uh, look, I think Atlanta United should go up there this weekend feeling confident. Um, it'll be tough. It's tough to win on the road in this league, but 
I still believe if if you don't get that penalty, and there wasn't a lot in it early in the second half, if you don't get that penalty, and you're leading 2-0 at the hour mark, the 65th, the 70th minute, I don't know. I think the feel of that match is totally different. Uh, And maybe you still end up conceding late, but I don't think you're going to extra time, and I don't think you're losing. Uh, Nashville also plays tonight. Uh, They're playing Montreal tonight, who might be the best team in the league right now, playing the best of anyone in the league. I think there's an opportunity here, Jason, for Atlanta United to go up there and maybe not just get a result but get a win, depending, of course, on how much is taken out of Nashville tonight by Montreal. Because I will say this, Nashville looked exhausted in Houston last Saturday. Yeah, Houston's a place that'll make you look exhausted too. And you go from 120 on Wednesday to Houston on Saturday night, you look dead, you get a couple days to recover, you're at home against the best team going right now in the league in Montreal, you're not going to have anything easy tonight, and then you get a day off and maybe a walk through Friday and you're playing right again on Saturday. Sometimes that's good in terms of continuity and chemistry, but sometimes it just tires you out. And Nashville's not the deepest team. A um, couple things from the game on Wednesday that I, or last Wednesday that I've reflected about with Nashville. Hani Mukhtar is one of the best players in this league. And when he was the second forward in a very free role, Atlanta had a hard time dealing with him. A really hard time dealing with him because he was popping up everywhere. When he dropped in as a number 10, he was easier to deal with. But at that point, it's Nashville just bombing it forward. You're, you're playing for second balls. It's, a, it's not luck. It's not just rolling the dice. It, it's a little bit of like stacking the, the deck if you're Nashville because that's what they do. They're better at that. They train at that more. It's, it's a, something that they can do when they can't find the breakthrough. And if teams do shut Mukhtar down, and Atlanta struggled with it, but how much did he create? Not a ton. If you're able to shut him down, Nashville goes to plan B. And plan B is direct play. CJ Sapong up there fighting, looking for a second ball with Mukhtar then finding the second ball and being more dangerous. And that's where they went. Uh, Atlanta has to exploit the right side for Nashville. If it's Miller, if it's Muil, Neither one are top, top level talent. Wheel is a attacker you got to worry about at times. He's a hardworking guy. Miller, I think this is where the Alistair Johnston move and not really replacing him looks a little odd for Nashville because that side of the field, you can get that side of the field if you're Atlanta. So that is Atlanta's left. Go back to what we've seen the last couple of times out, and it was ask of Gonzalo Pineda after this past one. Luis Araujo on the left as opposed to the right. I would not be surprised if we see Araujo on the left again to run in behind Miller and Wheel. And I think if it's Wheel, if Wheel is the wing back for Nashville in this game, I will I will make a bold proclamation that Luis Araujo has him in red card jeopardy before the thirty minute mark. <laughs> Because I, he's, he's a little hot-headed, and I don't think he's going to be able to keep up with him. And I think Araujo will just go at him nonstop. Um, you've got to exploit some older legs. You know, we, we look at what Nashville throws out tonight, and this will be a game that you have to watch. We look back at what they did in Houston. 
their midfield, their best players are all a little bit older. Dax McCarty, uh, Annabelle Godoy. Um, they went with Sean Davis, who was a big acquisition for them. They went with Luke Hawkinson, who I thought had a really good game against Atlanta, by the way. I was impressed with Hawkinson. They went with those two paired with McCarty. So it was McCarty, Davis, and Hawkinson as their midfield trio. Uh, Zubak got the start with Sapong. Mukhtar came off the bench on Saturday. I don't think he's going to come off the bench two games in a row. No. I would assume he starts in this one. So I, I don't know. Like, if it's Todd Brian Anunga in that midfield, okay, he's going to win the ball back, but is he going to be able to do anything with it? Not as much. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're going to have to piecemeal a lineup together based off who's able to stand on two feet and not fall over. It's, it's an opportunity for Atlanta. You get these sometimes, these schedule quirks where, you know, we've talked about it going against Atlanta over the years. This one, absolutely going in your favor. National TV Saturday night. Nashville plays the hottest team in the league on Wednesday night, and you can sit and watch. You got to take advantage of that. This is this is a, a winnable game against a top team, and you don't get those all the, all the time on the road. Yeah. Uh, it burned. I, I'm not quite sure I agree fully with the observation that Atlanta's midfield hasn't looked great against Nashville in recent games. I thought they did okay last Wednesday. I thought they did well on uh, Wednesday. I disagree uh, with that. Pineda, uh, Byrne says, needs to solve that issue somehow, maybe with two pure holding designated midfielders. I don't know about that. I, I think Abara and Josetu have locked that down right now. Both of them played more than adequately last Wednesday up in Nashville. I'd throw them right out there again on Saturday with a if bar potentially yeah. on Mukhtar. Yeah, if they're ready to go, they're ready to go. I think if Mukhtar is in that second forward spot, it's not so much one person dealing with him. It's it's passing him off because he'll, he'll drift. He'll go out wide. You got to know where he is. He'll come back inside. That's where Ibarra will pick him up. But then also he'll be very high as a second forward. And Dijon and, and Franco got to pick him up if that's the center back duo. I, I don't think that's the issue because – Burned, what I would say is, now you got to look at two different things. Let's talk about those two sides of Nashville. When they are not playing direct, I don't think you need two dedicated central midfielders to, to be there because I don't think they really exploit that space. It's not like Nashville tries to play through a 10 who's going to be in that, that spot to try to play. They, they don't. Mukhtar's the second forward, and he just he goes and finds the game. Now, when the game gets direct, and if Nashville's not able to get anything out of it where they are or they're chasing it like they did in the Open Cup, and they get to forget the midfield, skip it, play long. That's where I can buy into your conversation about having dedicated defensive midfielders because then you need ball winners. Now, Ibarra can do that. That might be a situation where then you look at a Campbell or Sosa, depending on Sosa and how he's feeling, in that role with Hosechu just a little bit further up and you, you create a, a different kind of midfield trio, but then you're going to have to sacrifice somebody somewhere to get to that point. So that would be the spot that I would consider it in general. No, I don't think you change the way you play. I think if anything, the way you play is going to be a difficult matchup for Nashville, but if the game gets where it did in the second half, where they did give you problems by playing direct, now you've seen it. Now that's where you might add another body into that holding midfield and push Hosechu higher up a little bit. 
or sacrifice an Osetsu to bring in somebody if that's what you got to do. Christopher wants to know if Nashville goes direct like they did in the second half, how would Atlanta counter that? Because Atlanta looked poor once Nashville shifted since the direct play neutralized Atlanta's pressing. You can, I mean, you can do one of two things. Um, you can add a third center back, and with Campbell, you can almost do both because you can move him either way because he can play as a center back. He can play in that holding midfield role to win the second ball. It really, he can almost float between the two. It's, it's something you can do there if you have to. You're not going to be able to press. That's correct. So you're, you're getting another player on deeper because that's where the game is shifting. Um, the other way you can counteract that is it is an element of pressing. Um, you have to look, and I'd have to go back through that game a little bit. I don't know if there was consistency in how Nashville did it in terms of who's hitting that long ball. Some teams will do it through one person. Um, Nashville, in general, wants to play to Jack Mayer because he's their best passer out of their back line, out of the center backs. But I think they sacrificed him at that point so that it was Romney and Zimmerman hitting it long. What you do is you try to deny the initial long ball. You don't want them to play the long ball quick. You've got to prevent that. So your, your forward and your wide attackers have to be locked in immediately to where I think what you see in the press right now with Atlanta, it's not always about stealing it the first time. It's not always about, okay, Zimmerman's got the ball at his feet, so I'm going to run in and take it off of his feet. No, it's a little bit more of running, taking something away from him. If he's going to pass to his right, jumping to that side, not letting him make that pass, and then causing the turnover. But if they're going to hit long balls, you're not thinking about that. You got to go and get on top of him. You've got to, if he has the ball, Zimmerman's going to hit the long ball. You've got to go straight up to him, like man to man this way to block him playing long. And then if he has to play it sideways, same thing. You do that over there. You take away the long ball as opposed to the buildup. Different mentality, different way of pressing, but you can still be effective by putting that pressure on because that allows everybody else to recover. Okay, if you're going to the game on Saturday, make a note of this right now. Parking is not good at the stadium. Rideshare is not good at the stadium. So plan ahead for how and when you're going to get to the stadium. And I would avoid relying on rideshare or parking uh, in those plans. I do know that they have some (laughs) remote lots like – there's a lot of Nissan Stadium where you can take yeah. a shuttle in. That might be the best way to go. But I, I would not put your cards in the Uber deck, and I would certainly not put your cards in the parking at the stadium deck because there's barely any. If you uh, do, like Uber was actually a little bit of an issue just in general in Nashville. I think if if you're an Uber driver and you're looking for more business, Nashville might be a place you want to move to. But right. um, just give yourself plenty of time because yep. if you're going to go that route, and a lot of people will, just – Add an extra 30 to 45 minutes so you're, you're not up against it. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, we'll get to the stadium as early as we can. We know that. We'll be on the air 7 o'clock Saturday for the Five Stripes Countdown. Uh, kickoff, I'm assuming, will actually be closer to 8, even though they say it's 7.30. It's a Fox game. Uh, and we'll have the full-time report afterwards from Nashville on Saturday. So we hope you'll join us for that. We'll be back next Wednesday for another edition of Stoppage Time. We'll look back on the Nashville match and look ahead to Columbus and the international break. 
You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Oh, 